This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is sponsored by Fisher Skis, and you can visit them at www.fishersports.com. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Out of Bounds Podcast. My name is Adam Jabber, and today we have Jeff Colt on the show. You might remember Jeff Colt from the winter when we talked about zip fit liners with him, but he's back. Just ran Western States, got a ninth place overall, uh, three behind Courtney DeWalter, and I love talking to this guy. I love hearing where his head's at. And uh, it's cool to see someone that's really double dipping in two different high level sports. So, um, before we jump into the episode, I just want to say thank you to our sponsor for the show, Darn Tough Socks. If you want the best socks in the entire world, Darn Tough is the way to go. Um, you can hit up darntough.com and get yourself a new pair of hiking socks, running socks, cycling socks, whatever, Tour de France's couple days ago i guess at this point is when it started get some cycling socks be like Tare Pogacha. that is all uh i hope you enjoy the episode we will talk to you next week bye jeff why don't you tell people who you are uh, a little bit about yourself and then we can kind of take from there my name is jeff colt i live in carbondale colorado this is the second time i've joined adam uh on <laughs> out of collective. I work in the ski industry as the man, um, the brand director and product developer for zip fit ski boot liners. I also can be compete in ultra marathon running, uh, for on running and like running all summer and skiing all winter. I love that. Um, so Western States just passed, uh, awesome finish ninth overall for you. Eighth in men's what, what was it like? How are you feeling? Let's just talk a little bit about like the baseline of it for now. For sure. Yeah. Western States, for those who haven't uh, heard about the event before, it goes from the base of Palisades at Tahoe. Your first climb is up Palisades and then it finishes in Auburn, California. So east to west uh, across the Sierra Nevada. It's 100 miles with about 18 or 19,000 feet of climbing and 22,000 feet of descending. So it's a net downhill course. Uh, it's the oldest hundred mile running race in the, in the U S this year was the 50th anniversary of it, which is pretty special. And it started as a horse race. This guy's horse went lame like early on. And he was like, I'm going to finish anyway. And he like ran the rest of the way, kind of, you know, dragging <laughs> his horse along. Um, in a lot of ways, it was the birth of this hundred mile distance type foot race uh yeah started saturday morning at 5 a.m so many nerves so many feelings going into that uh race but once it starts it's almost like just this incredible calm takes over and uh great to catch up with so many friends and other athletes competing um the energy of western states is exceptional uh it's not quite tour de france level but you know <laughs> people are out there and they are so, so uh, jazzed that everyone is everyone is running. So my day ended up going really smoothly. I wanted to be in the mix for a top three, try to podium at Western States, which was a lofty goal. Uh, mm -hmm. I was you know right with third place at mile eighty, and things fell apart a little bit. Uh, ended up finishing yeah ninth overall, as you said. But the the real story of the day is Courtney DeWalter. Uh, crushed crazy. the women's course record by an hour and 
13 or 17 <laughs> minutes or something. Um, Courtney beat me by 17 minutes or 20 minutes. Um, she had such an exceptional day. It was one of the most awe-inspiring and like astonishing performances in sport. Yeah. Yeah. I, this is about you, but like, I do want to spend a minute talking a little bit about her. Like what, what is it like one, just when she shows up to a hundred miler, I, I imagine at this point in her career, there's a little bit of like an aura that surrounds Courtney at this point. Like what, what is that like? And what do you think it is about her that makes people, because people of all walks of life, like feel like they're really connected to her for some reason. And I don't, I don't know what it is, but I, I feel the same way. Okay. I told Courtney to run for office at the finish line. I think very <laughs> highly of Courtney. She is exceptional and that exceptionality isn't her athletic prowess. It's from, you know, who she is as a person, how she conducts herself, what she does for our sport, as well as just sport in general. Um, Courtney is a, like, she is the biggest celebrity in ultra running. She's got you know, 500,000 followers versus most ultra runners, like a couple thousand. She's a, she's yeah. a big deal. And, uh, the starting line, like, you know, saw Courtney kind of fist bumped, like, let's go, let's get it. Uh, have a good day out there. We ended up going up Palisades together, mostly just shooting the shit pretty casual. Yeah. Um, Courtney is a very calm and collected human. I think the thing about her is, what everyone does with Courtney by putting her on a pedestal and being like Courtney DeWalter, if, if she shows up, she's going to take down that course record. Like competing with Courtney isn't, you know, that's out of the question. That's exactly what Courtney's advantage is because Courtney doesn't look at previous course records or male, you know, finishers or, you know, the, the competition on the men's side. She doesn't look at any of that with this, like that's out of reach or beyond my potential. She fully goes out and runs her race and experiences like lives within herself and isn't, you know, putting any parameters on where the ceiling of her effort is. So like in some ways, the hype machine around like Courtney being so good, uh, like the message every other competitor who's trying to compete with Courtney should take is like, don't believe the hype machine and try to compete with Courtney. Cause that's exactly yeah. the mentality she's taking into the race. It's like, don't believe anything anyone says about what you are capable of or what is humanly possible. Just go have your day. And, uh, she blew by me at mile 89 and was like, come on, Jeff, hop on the train. Like, <laughs> you know, I didn't want to see you like, let's go. And I was like, Courtney, my, my legs have fallen off. Like I can't hop on your train. Um, I saw her at the airport flying back to Denver. We were on the same flight home and like chatting with her then I was like, gosh, maybe I should have just told myself that my legs didn't cramp up and fall <laughs> off because she was describing how painful her legs were and like her mind just continuing to like try to hit like the big red stop button. She was like, but my yeah. legs were just moving and like, I didn't want to change anything because I was moving really well. So like, I just kept trying to calm my mind and like let my legs do the work and like hearing her say that I was like, I bet I could have asked more out of myself, even though I really feel like I left it all out there. Um, yeah, she's a huge inspiration and 
she wears long shorts, which like, that's the coolest thing you can do in, <laughs> in running is like not subscribe to the short shorts. Yeah. I, I still don't understand that bit. Like she's just, that's what she's always running and that's what she's sticking to. And I think that's, that's part of who she is like without knowing her at all. I think that's part of what it sounds like her brand is, so to speak, you know, it's just like being exactly Courtney is the brand. Yeah. She's got steez. She's got class. She's authentically <laughs> Courtney to Walter. Um, and if like, if people don't know about her, uh, go, go hop on the, the Courtney, um, bandwagon because she's, she's, you know, as good, she's better than any of the hype can build her to be. She's, she's truly exceptional. Yeah. I love that. What, so you mentioned like kind of feeling like, okay, maybe I could have gotten a little more out of myself, even though I felt like I got everything. Is that, is that a common feeling for you? Like you feel like, cause in the moment everybody's kind of panicked a little bit and they're like, they're exhausted and you just, you shut down a little bit, no matter how much you're pushing yourself to the max. Did you, do you feel like constantly that you're that you could have done a little bit more or was it just talking to Courtney that kind of made you feel like that what do you think the most intensive head like mind game sport is I don't know for me it's anything long distance right like it's anything it's anything that pushes whatever your max cardio is to the point where you're extremely uncomfortable like I don't think it's anything in traditional sports you know like I think it's cycling I think it's running I think it's swimming would fucking it for me seems like the one that would be so in your head because you're in the water the whole time and like you just want to get out and you can't get out yeah, like it's terrifying that's, swimming is my like that's not my strength. So <laughs> that's what I, that's what I mean. I feel you like... there, but what what Courtney and I kind of landed on in the airport was either a tennis serve when like the entire stadium's watching you and it's for the game set match or whatever, mm. or that putt on hole eighteen to either win or lose like Masters. Mm-hmm. That moment doesn't exist in ultra running. You yeah. don't have this acute moment of pressure and mental anxiety and buildup. What you have is stacks and stacks and stacks buildup of all of these small moments. And like risk mitigation and like backcountry skiing, you're trying to control as many of those factors, as many blinking yellow lights and blinking red lights that might be going off on like your dashboard or control manifold or whatever. Like you're trying to account for those. So what I went through on uh, Saturday, like mile 45, I kicked a rock and had this little minor tear of my left quad. And it was like a zing, like immediate pain in my left quad, big blinking light. Like Jeff, you're going to have to drop out at mile 55 when you get to Michigan Bluff. It's over. Just like breathe, breathe. Okay. I'm actually still moving pretty well. Uh, Like, Advil or Tylenol would probably help this situation, but like structurally I can keep going. Turn that red light off, just like bypass that. Right. And like, as you continue going through the day, more of these things are coming up the longer you're out there. So, um, I left mile 80 feeling literally on cloud nine. I was feeling the best I had all day in the race. And Anthony Costales, who was at mile 80 with me, we left together he looked like he was hurting and like in my mind i'm like 
let's go. I'm going to podium <laughs> at Western States. Like, this is all happening. This is a dream come true. Like, half a mile later, I started projectile vomiting. And um, <laughs> I've never, that's never happened to me in a race before. So in my mind, I was like, oh, I went to the place that like I've heard other people whose stomach has like have gone rotten or like turned on them and like they end up dropping out. And I started thinking about all those things. And I guess I didn't fully assess like, actually, how am I right now? Like, am I okay? Like, is my stomach fully empty? You know, it's mm -hmm. five miles to the next aid station. I ended up playing a more conservative card and being like, I want to finish this race. I don't want to drop out. Let's take it easy to the next aid station. Let's make sure I refuel and eat a good bit of food. Then let's keep going. In doing so, I like slowed my whole pace. I kind of really like dialed things back and talking to Courtney in the airport, basically I was like, maybe I should have just flipped that switch off and just said like, I didn't vomit. Let's keep running yeah. as hard as I can. And like, <laughs> that's the vibe that I got from Courtney was like these same big like warning lights and signals were going off in her head and she was just playing you know traffic control like you know turn hitting off these switches as quickly as they were coming on and just like telling her legs to go um so it's it's a intense mind game it's a really long played like game of chess um yeah. and there are some critical moves and decisions it never, you know, have this feeling of like the whole world is watching me and like my decision in this moment, you know, it's like the buildup of the end of the bachelor or the bachelorette or something like what's the decision going to be <laughs> that, that headspace isn't really there. And it's just like, how am I still taking the SATs 15 hours yeah. later? Like my brain is exhausted type of headspace. Yeah. What? what is the hardest part for you? Because like you mentioned stuff starting to go wrong at like mile 80 ish. Like it, in my mind, like when you say you're 80 out of a hundred into somebody, that means like, Oh, you're pretty close. Right. Yeah, but, but in this you're <laughs> 20 miles away from the finish still, like that's not close. So is that like a, how do you deal with that headspace? Because I think that's something that's very foreign to people. Yeah. You just like nailed it on the head. Like, Oh, you're 80 miles into the race. You're so close. But like, then you tell that same person who's thinking that like, Hey, go on a 20 mile run. And they're like, hell no. That's yeah, so no, far. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. um, so to have that amount of distance left and be feeling pretty rotten, it's, it's challenging. It's just like the greatest truth in these races is super simple. It's blunt. If you run faster, you're going to finish sooner. And yeah. <laughs> like, it's the deepest philosophical lesson in ultra running. Like you want it to be over. Don't like wallow in your misery. Don't shuffle step, start running harder yeah. and like continue ask, like to ask yourself, like, can I go harder? Can I dig deeper or don't ask and just move your legs and like mm -hmm. one step, one breath. If you keep going one step, one breath, and like just sit that mantra, you'll eventually get there. It might not be as fast as you might hope, but yeah, that's the, that's like the kind of baseline philosophy is like the faster you go, the sooner it'll be over. Um, 
you know, I went home and slept. I got breakfast. We ate in and out at like midnight, like whatever. Uh, yeah. Came back to the track at 1030 in the morning to watch the last half hour of like the 30 hour finishers come in. Jesus and like Christ. if, you know, the race says like life in a day, it's the Western States 100, you know. Well, like for anyone who's out there for 30 hours, that's pretty much life in two two days. Like the yeah. finisher finished in 14 or the winner finished in 1440. Like Tom had time to basically live an entire another day while those runners are still out there. Um, but they're all they're all mind games and it's all like puzzling through it. I try not to consider where I'm at until I'm 25 miles into the race to be like, cool, yeah. I'm a quarter of the way there. There's a, there's this classic paradox called Zeno's paradox, which is if you have a hundred miles to go and you split that distance in half, you have 50 miles to go and you split that distance in half, you have 25 miles to go. If you keep splitting that distance in half, you're never actually going to get to the finish. Right. Mm -hmm. You're just going to keep ending up in this yeah, infinitesimal, yeah, yeah. like little minute fractions. If you try to play that game while running an ultra, like that's how it feels. Like, yeah. Oh my God. I'm never actually going to get there. Um, so finding that like clear headspace where you can just try to go on autopilot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny you bring that up. It's like, that's, that's what kids do when they're waiting for the bell at school. Right. It's like, I have, I used to do it all the time. It's like, I got 15 minutes and that'll get me to the halfway point and then 15 more minutes. And then there's only 15 minutes left. It's like, that's what people do. I think people are like very accustomed to doing that, but I, yeah, I can't imagine it works very well in, in running something this long. Yeah. It's one thing when you're sitting still and you're doing that, it's another when like your actual, like, you know, desire and ability to move and make progress physically over, over a distance, um, like is dependent on, coming to the end of that race yeah yeah it's funny i listened to courtney talk about this a while ago and something that i watched she was just talking about the fact that like yeah i've everybody makes a big deal about me finishing in you know 12 hours or 15 hours or whatever i couldn't finish 30 hours like i couldn't spend 30 hours out there i don't want to spend 30 no. hours like the people that are there for two days like that sounds horrible to, and that's why she was like yeah i usually stay and just support people until the end because like that is the hardest thing to me is spending that much time out there and not quitting. Like that almost seems more difficult than finishing fast. Yeah. And like, certainly some people have physiological advantages to finishing fast. Um, but I, that I like definitely resonate with that sentiment. I would not want to run Western States in 30 hours. It sounds super hard. Yeah. That sounds terrible. It sounds terrible doing it in 15 or whatever. Like that sounds, <laughs> that sounds miserable to me, but it's, uh, I, yeah, I, I can't believe it. Every time someone finishes one of these things, I'm, I'm in shock. Let me, let me ask you about something a little different. Like how, how does someone approach doing their first ultra, right? Like doing a 32 mile race to start off or whatever it is. I think it's 32 miles. Is 31. We're yeah. officially calling 31 miles. Is what we're officially calling an ultra. How, how does someone even get to that point? to start because it's an extremely difficult thing. And then I'm going to ask you probably about Candace's run of her doing a ultra marathon every day for 780 days. <laughs> it was like 200 or something. like, it's crazy. Like, I, I don't understand. Like how, what is, what is that step that people have to take in order to push themselves to do their first ultra? 
It's starting small, starting like with running four miles, five times a week. And like once running feels like something, your body, you know, might not crave it, but like maybe it feels good or it feels easier. Then it's ramping that up a little bit. And just like climbing and like trying to get to that next grade in climbing or, you know, in skiing, like, Hey, you know, I took on this sense of risk last time by doing this new approach with a mountain tool. I actually want to try like, you know, repelling into this next couloir and like keep advancing little by little setting a goal is a huge motivator for most people. And just jumping into your first 50 K that might be ambitious. Uh, it might be a great idea to start with a, you know, trail half marathon or trail marathon or, you know, road half marathon or marathon. Um, once you get into the ultra distance, I think the real thing that changes is like nutrition and hydration in mm -hmm. most running races, you see people grabbing bottles in the marathon. That's mostly drinking. Maybe they're drinking some like electrolyte mix or some calorie mix. Once you start being out there for four five, six, seven, eight hours, your energy is getting depleted so much. Like you need to refill it. And like, there's a saying that ultra marathons are just long distance running or long distance eating competitions. Um, <laughs> like they are like your stomach staying strong and being able to actually hold down food is really key. Um, so I think the, that first step for someone who's interested is like, get out and, and run a little bit. And when you feel like you're getting more comfortable running, set a attainable goal for yourself and go see how it feels to, uh, to run that race. And if you have a sense of accomplishment and it feels good, continue exploring mm -hmm. further. Um, I'm very confident like humans as a species, we are meant to actually travel incredible distances. There's this great book, why we run by Bernd Heinrich mm -hmm. biologist. And it's basically like, we have hair on our heads. We are bipeds. Our lungs operate with this diaphragm the way they do all so that we could outrun other animals, like run them to exhaustion for food. And mm -hmm. like you think of human migrations, humans are able to migrate under like stress and duress, like incredible distances. We're all mm -hmm. capable of running a 50 K how we feel after that race that comes back to like how much training we want to put into it. Yeah. I've, I've got a couple kind of follow-ups on that one. Do, does it even feel good to eat? Like when you're in this thing, like I, so I don't know, I've done six, eight hour, even 10 hour, like races, like gravel races, mountain bike events. And two hours in, I don't want to eat a fucking thing. <laughs> like I don't want to look at food. I don't want to think about food. I'm bad at drinking water at that point. None of it sounds good or appetizing to me and you always hear these stories about like people not being able to hold down food them not being able to eat like does it have you figured out something for yourself that makes you actually want to go and eat those things again back to that base principle of like wanting to finish and finish as fast as possible so i'm out there for less time eating it like it's essential you're putting out so much energy you need to take in calories and like in this instance my stomach didn't want sugary foods anymore. I took like a single sip of the drink mix I'd been drinking all day that was a little sweet and boom, mm -hmm. everything came out. 
Like I ended up just switching to salted potatoes, potato chips. And like, if I wanted to throw some sugar in, I'd like eat some gummies with potato mm-hmm. chips. So at least like I was trying to trick myself and thinking it's salty. Um, yeah, I would say I don't, when I'm racing, I don't really want to eat. I definitely am like forcing myself to eat. I need to eat. Um, when I'm on like a big ski tour or a big bike ride, I am like definitely like, heck yeah. My stomach's not jostling. I'm on this bike. I packed a burrito. I packed like, yeah, yeah. like and I'm going to eat real food and really enjoy it. Um, the maybe biggest mistake folks make is they dive into a race knowing that they're supposed to eat and have a fueling strategy, but they've never practiced it. And like they take a bite of like their first ever gel or something. And they're like, this is rancid. Like I have no yeah. interest in eating this. And uh, yeah, practicing kind of in the conditions that you're going to be racing in. So with food and water are key. Yeah. And I think adapting some of that stuff probably is, is helpful. Like, I mean, you see like Courtney eating like bags of mashed potatoes. Like it's like they're like that kind of stuff seems like it's just a way to like trick your body into thinking that it's sitting down and actually eating something that like tastes like real food. Because I think if you just eat gel, like I've had this when I'm on longer rides and I'm like, I don't want gels anymore. There's nothing in me that I want to go to a gas station and I want to eat like four Twix bars and drink like three Pepsis. Like that's what I, that's what I want on those rides. And like, it doesn't always make sense. Like that makes sense maybe at the end of a ride or like when you're really bonking, but like the nutrition aspect of it is really hard to manage. I think for people, because your body is just in this state of panic a lot of times. And I, I imagine on a, on a hundred mile race, like you, it's no different. Definitely no different. And then you add in just like the possibility for extreme heat and it just gets way worse. Um, yeah. 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 I, what, what do you do as far as training when you're leading up to some of this? And I guess more importantly, even than the training, what do you do? Because I think the training when you're at the level that you're at just comes and you're like, you prepare yourself, you have it scheduled. The rest part of it, I guess, is what I actually have a question about. How do you make sure that you're actually well-rested enough while still balancing the training so that you can go out there and perform well? Because there's not this, like, just hammer until your legs fall off approach for most of these things, because then you end up getting this, like, complete lackluster performance at some point. Yeah. You know, I think the amount of training you're doing, and I would argue as well, like, the variety of training you're doing play into those pretty significantly. I don't train as much as a lot of other runners who are out there for Western States, or at least on the like elite end. Um, and maybe I train as many hours as them, but three or four of my hours each week might just be like casual mountain bike with friends where I'm being active. Uh, I'm filling other like essential things in my life and keeping my like relationships and just like general endorphins and happiness in check. Mm -hmm. Um, going into the race, like certainly I made some changes to my diet and sleep habits to ensure that I was feeling well rested. Uh, I'm still like running a good bit. So it wasn't like I wasn't eating ice cream before bed because that sugar is like (laughs) a spike and can impact your sleep. So I was having ice cream with breakfast in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, rest is, is key. And I think a lot of runners don't, necessarily take their taper seriously like 
they would be like, well, I still have this incredible desire and urge to run. And like, yeah, no shit. You've been running 15 hours a week for 15 weeks. Like your body wants it to like Mm -hmm. actually step back and be like, all right, I'm running for 35 minutes today. And that's it. One of the reasons I like having a full-time job. Like if I was a full-time athlete and that was like the, the expectation, I'd be like, what am I supposed to do with my hands? What am I supposed to do with anything? Yeah. Right. Like, um, rest is, is super key. And I think the, like tra- training yourself to be able to fall asleep, you know, two nights and the night before the race and being able to like use your downtime to visualize the course and actually go through like what you expect the day to look like. Um, all of that I think can be grouped into that rest category. It's just like, you also have to, dial back social engagements a bit and try not to like really be stressed out. Um, there's so much like that your body reacts to stress in so many different ways that can be exhausting. It's like trying to eliminate as much of that as possible. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're up there with some of the elite in the world. Like what, do you want to make this your full time gig? Is there any part of you that like, yeah, you say you like working a job, but like, is there any part of you that's like, oh yeah, I could do, if I did this full time, I could do this, this, and this. Okay. If I did it full time, I'd be fully relying on my body for my paycheck. And like, I'd also be leaning into like, all right, I'm a like full time, you know, influencer and athlete. Like when I'm not training, I'm working on crafting my public profile and public image. And Mm -hmm. To me, that sounds one, like not as rewarding and two, pretty, um, pretty exhausting in like the sense of like, not all full-time athletes have this going on, but I fear that I would end up just becoming too self-involved and like, Mm -hmm. I love my community. I love like my job is what I want to do. Like I sought it out. I'm really happy with the work (laughs) I do and I do operate at a high level in the winter, like working in the ski industry. And I try to operate at a high level in the summers with my running. Um, but I love both those sports so much. Like I would never quit skiing to run. And like yeah. when I was searching for a coach to work with, like basically like nixed any coach that was explicitly a running coach because I was like, mm-hmm. this person's not going to understand how important these, you know, hundred days are to me. Um, yeah. I, d- I want to be a human being first and foremost, and like a partner, a friend, a brother, a son, like, and from there, um, I want to be a person who loves running and is like, not afraid to lean into how much I love it, but it doesn't define me exclusively. And, uh, you know this, like skiing is the most fun thing in the world. That'd yeah. be crazy. Yeah, it, it's funny. I have this conversation a lot with a lot of pro skiers where it's just like, okay, does it take the fun out of it for you, it being your full-time job? And like, it's 50-50. Like some of them are like, yeah, like, do I like skiing as much as I liked it when I was 16? Fuck no, <laughs> right? But do I like it as much as like somebody else who loves skiing? Yeah, probably. But like it, it takes some of it out of you having to make everything in your life about one thing 
And I think a little diversity in that respect is is actually probably really healthy for most humans. Yeah, I and I think it's definitely healthy for me. Like I talk to other runners who are full-time runners and it does sound pretty nice. Like I would say five days a week, I don't have the time to go out for like a big, you know, multi-summit trail run adventure. Like mm-hmm. I have to do that on Saturday and Sunday because I have a job like other people who have jobs. Um, I can get out for a couple hours in the morning and like, I can get out, you know, a couple hours in the afternoon if that's, uh, if that's what I need to do with like the time of day and heat training and stuff, but having something else that I can really lean into and focus on, um, it's more than like, yeah, it does, I guess, operate a bit as a distraction, but I wouldn't even use that word. I would, I would say it's like a passion that I can put energy toward that actually eases up my mind and like takes some of the pressure off of just running. Um, yeah. When I went out this weekend, like I was not favored to be on the podium. I would say some people might've picked me to be in the top 10 and Mm -hmm. I've never run a race. Like I did on Saturday. I've never gone out there being like trying to kind of dive into that Courtney mentality of being like, you know what? I don't know what I'm capable of. And because of that, I'm just going to race the best guys and try to stick mm-hmm. with them. Uh, I've always put some parameter on like my ability. Like, I don't know if I can go sub 16 hours or sub 15 hours. Like that seems really fast. Saturday, I just went out and was like, I want to race with the best in the world and see how far I can go and see how I stack up. And like, it was an awesome feeling. I would take that huge swing again because I now have like this confidence of, all right, you know, for some people, the full-time athlete thing might be the move and it might allow them to rise to that super upper echelon. I think I've thought it might be something that like is holding me back, trying to live, you know, not numerous lives, but live one very, very full life. Um, mm-hmm. After Saturday, I'm like, yeah, screw that. Like I'm going to continue skiing a bunch. And when I show up at races, I'm going to play my cards. Like, I mean, business and, and try to win. Um, so are you, are you tired all the time? Like, I, I know there's people listening to this that are like, oh yeah, I want to do this. 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 Like the way you're framing, it sounds like your life is full. Like even getting up early and going for an early morning run before starting your day. And then like, I I don't know, like, are you tired all the fucking time? Because that's what it seems I would be. I Okay, I naturally have a lot of energy and I try to use that energy to like lift people up and and do good, but I do have a lot of energy. My day is not like, you know, I do get up early, like 5.30 to maybe 8.30 in the morning. That's like breakfast and run time. Uh, 8.30 until 4.30 or so, that's work time, maybe dinner, maybe bike ride with some friends. And like, I go to bed between nine and 10 and like I get eight or nine hours of sleep and wake up and do it again. Um, I don't, I guess, like necessarily carve out the most amount of time for myself to like read and like have just like centered downtime, something I do try to work on. And when I'm not training as much, like that's the morning time for me. Um, But I'm not tired all the time. And I think that's like, I try to eat well and sleep well. Um, If I was tired all the time, I'd probably take it as like, 
either a you know indication that I'm training too much or okay work might be more stressful than it is normally and like mm-hmm. I take that really seriously like if work is stressful or if my fiance and I are having like a you know challenging conversation or things with my family aren't going as smoothly like that stress it's not good to train on that stress it's not good to compound that or bury it with like getting outside and like running a hard workout like mm-hmm. I will ease up if my endocrine system is out of whack like like all right actually i feel pretty off today uh works really stressful like that workout i'm supposed to do i'm gonna bump it till tomorrow i'm gonna try to like clear my schedule as much as possible and just like chill sort through address these issues and kind of recalibrate it's a very mature response like that's a very because you hear about it all the time in skiing especially like people are sad people are depressed people have all this stuff going on in their lives and they just try to bury it by doing hard activities and like just try to run it out of their system or ski it out of their system and I've always felt like that's a little bit of an unhealthy approach but I've had a bunch of people tell me that it works for them so I, I, I don't know what works for anybody and it's just it's an interesting response and it might be like the you know, looking through that, like, kind of, you know, negative of the picture, because, like, I do ask a lot of my body every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I'm stressed, actually, like, dialing things back and trying to consider my headspace, consider, like, holistically, Jeff, and then mm-hmm. address it and continue asking a lot of my body every day. Like, that's what works for me. For folks who maybe like their nine to five is their every day, they get a little bit of exercise. And when they have something hard that comes up in their life, they're just like, I'm going to like run out the front door and go run as hard as I can until I can process this. I can't use running as my therapy. Like it is a meditation practice and like I get a lot out of running, but like I can't use it as like a, okay, I'm going to go like problem solve this by running a bunch when already I'm Mm -hmm. running a bunch. Um, Yeah. So. Yeah, it makes sense. Last thing I have for you, what, what does the rest of your running season look like? Do you have other goals? Do you have other events that you're, that you're looking forward to? Maybe not as much as Western States, but something similar to that. Okay. So the like true goal I have in running is to run the hard rock 100 in Silverton. I think it's the coolest race. I like, I'm obsessed with it. You have to run a hundred mile race every other year to qualify for hard rock. And they have to be Mm -hmm. on a select list of races that have a comparable vertical profile. Mm -hmm. The hundred mile race I ran four days ago is not on that list. And this year is a hard (laughs) rock year for me. So I have to run another hundred and it's either going to be September 1st over in Chamonix for UTMB or Mm -hmm. September 11th in Salt Lake for the Wasatch 100. So I've got a hundred mm-hmm. mile mountain race coming up in like two months. Uh, so I've got that to look forward to. Once I can like start walking again comfortably, maybe then I'll start hiking and biking. And then eventually like right before the race, I'll be in a place to run again. <laughs> um, Have you done UTMB before? I did CCC in 2019 and ended up actually okay. pulling the plug at mile 40 of 62. Um, I hurt my foot and had to, had to bail, but it's a real scene over there. I mean, it's, 
like such a production. Uh, it's mm -hmm. one of the most beautiful places in the world. And I'm trying to, you know, frame that in a, in a way that I'm really excited about that race. Cause, um, I do go to a lot of these races for like some sense of like, like, you know, finding yourself or solitude in the mountains or like an intimate, you know, long conversation with one or two other runners. Yeah. UTMB is like choo, 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 cameras like yeah. everywhere and <laughs> people everywhere. Um, but yeah, I love it. If you've got a, if you've got a second, I'd love to just make a plug for like how, how, key, yeah. um, community is in this sport and like, uh, kind of the crew element of Western States. Yeah, of course. Um, I ended up getting to have my, most of my family out there to crew me this year, as well as, uh, my friend Drew here from Carbondale, Drew Peterson from Mountain mm -hmm. uh, Tahoe and his partner, Caroline, and then a couple friends who came out to pace me. And um, like, if you ever have any doubt that you can do something you're trying to do, surround yourself by people who believe in you, like in the purest form, because like their belief is going to remind you that like you're capable. Uh, like that's fully what I experienced and felt on Saturday, you know, every point of doubt, just like seeing these faces, like, holy shit. Like they yeah. know I can do this more than I do. And <laughs> like, I'm going to, I'm going to feed on that and embrace that. Um, these people believe in me, like, let me find some belief in myself source through them. Yeah. Yeah. Ultra running has kind of looked at, like this thing it's where it's just you right but i think the crew aspect of it is is super super underrated for these things yeah and even if it is a race where or a run where it's just you like those people are still there you might not yeah. see them but like they still believe in you and it's like it's really powerful to go to those places in your mind be like jaber's thinking of me today and like i yeah. know that <laughs> and like the fact that he's thinking of me uh that gives me some, some wind under my wings and, and can push me along a little bit more. Um, yeah. so yeah, I think it often comes off as this super individual or like kind of, um, self-involved effort. And it ends up being like my crew is just talking about how much fun they had. And I'm like, wow, I kind of feel like I really missed out on this whole like <laughs> crew fun that you guys had. I was just out there like kind of tormenting myself. Yeah, just suffering for 15 hours. Like, I, yeah, I, I'm glad that they had a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's this like awesome little clip at one of the aid stations on the live feed of like Drew on other Drew's back, like spanking his ass, <laughs> trying to ride him like a horse, like to get on the live feed. And like they showed me that after the race and I just lost it. I was like, I'm so glad <laughs> that you guys had such a day. <laughs> that's awesome. I'm glad, I'm glad it was good. I'm glad it was good for you. Congrats again. Like that is a, it's a huge accomplishment. I think there, there's a lot of people and there's a lot of people in skiing too, that are like very avid runners or becoming very avid runners in the summer. And I think that that's a, it's a really cool crossover to start to see happen more. Yeah. I think the, uh, you know, the real takeaway, if I could like four words, what Western States was like, training for ski season. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
coming soon. Yeah. It's actually, it's still here for some people, but it's, uh, it's, it's coming soon. Yeah, definitely. I'm like at the point, I'm at the point where I'm like not even thinking about it right now. Like it, it was so busy all winter that I'm like, fuck skiing right now. Yeah. I'm fucking over skiing. And in like 30 days, I'll be like, all I want to do is go skiing. It's, it's, it's funny how that switch happens in my brain from March to July. All I want to do is ride my mountain bike. And then you know, every month in between there of like, all I want to do is go skiing. I wrote a blog post on this for ZipFit's website, like of like, when does winter start? Like, what yeah. is the actual start of winter if you're a skier? And like, some of the answers I got were just like, it's clearly July 20th, like 720 day is when you're allowed to start thinking about skiing again, because all the pro skiers are posting 720s on social media. And like, the tropics and mountain bikes and other stuff. Like, yeah. it's just like skiing is back. Um, yeah. and I think there's some truth to that. I think, yeah, mid July, I'll fully be like, all right, what am I thinking yeah. about for this winter? What are my plans? Yeah. I'm in the same boat. Like people have been asking about like events that are coming up this winter. And I'm just like, don't, don't fucking talk to me until like a month or two from now. And then I'll start, then I'll start thinking about all that stuff because that's exactly what we were talking about before where it's like the work and the play are so close together yeah. where sometimes you're just like, I need to think about skiing for me and not skiing for this. Okay, get this. Um, Spencer Harkins and Mally Noise were both out there uh, with Pit Viper and helping support me as well. And the following morning, we're having coffee on the porch of our Airbnb and uh, – I was like making a joke, like a couple of days before the race, my coworker, James asked like, Hey, like, do you want to rent my friend's place in golden for a month in February? Like, are you going to come up to, um, you know, to BC this winter? And I was like, I got this big race coming up. I'm not thinking about February right now. I'm thinking about Saturday. And Spencer just turns to me. He's like, well, now that it's Sunday, what do you think about, uh, <laughs> going up to golden for February? <laughs> Dude, that dude's that dude is funny. I what a sleeper freak athlete that dude is too. Oh, yeah. Like I don't think people the people just see like a lot of people just see Pit Viper Spencer, but the dude the dude is just game. Yeah, he's incredibly strong. He's a he's a fun ski partner. Yeah, no doubt. Um, awesome, dude. This has been great. Um, where can people find you on social? Where can people find you in general? If people want to email you about ZipFit stuff, it's almost that season. So where, where do people get at you? Yeah. Um, I'm easy underscore dog on social. Um, I just put out my first ever YouTube video, uh, in preparation right. for Western States, just talking a little bit about my training and headspace. Um, and that's, you know, Jeff Colt on, on YouTube. You can find me there, but uh, interact with ZipFit on ZipFit social at ZipFit or uh, ZipFit on on YouTube as well. And yeah, uh, feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to talk about these things. Always happy to talk about headspace, um, kind of balance in life and running and skiing. I love that. Awesome. Thank you, dude. I really appreciate it. Thank you.